Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, our family friend, Dr. Aaron Wilson. Welcome to the podcast, Thanks, Aaron. Dick. Yeah. Just by way of introduction, um, Dr. Wilson currently is the principal at Granite Park Junior High as part of the Granite School District, and we'll talk about a podcast he started, but it's the way we got to know um, Aaron Wilson was he at Cottonwood High School in Salt Lake City was the AP calculus teacher. We had a son in his class and grew to respect his skills to teach. And then we learned he played the bagpipes and my wife has always wanted our youngest son to learn the bagpipes. And so he became the bagpipe teacher to our son, Ben, who's now on a mission in Samoa. And he's helped tutor some of our kids. And I remember the high school kids in our house just always had a lot of respect for uh, Mr. Wilson at that time and his ability not only to teach but relate to the youth. Um, Aaron then later, after his master's in teaching, math teaching at the University of Utah, got a doctorate in education from BYU in 2019. And that's why we're calling him Dr. Wilson, because he went through that long road and received that um, doctorate. He is the tallest podcast guest I've had. You can't see him here, but he is six foot ten. And we're not going to talk about his height or sports. I guess there's an assumption you played high school and college ball. And is that true? Just high school. My uh, claim to fame today is that we beat our middle school kids at the annual teacher versus student basketball game. (laughs) So I'm still sore from that, but I play basketball, yes. Um, Aaron is the father of four, active LDS. We'll talk a little bit about that towards the end of the podcast. Um, But thanks for being on the podcast. Anything from that introduction that needs clarification? No, you did great. Thanks, Dick. Um, You started a podcast, and that's the primary reason I wanted you to be on our podcast was to make sure our listeners are aware of your podcast and the purpose of your podcast to the audience and the things you're doing, including talking about LGBTQ in some of your episodes. But talk about your podcast and what's its mission. Yeah, so first of all, I love love being a school principal and conversations with parents where I'm truly able to help you know, educate families. And I, I realized that my influence was probably only reaching some parents in my school. And I, and I wanted a platform to explore, you know, and share with parents things that I know or have resources that I have um, for a more general audience. And so this podcast explores, you know, challenging, unfamiliar topics in public education. And I want parents to be empowered. I want them to have the tools that so they know how their kids can feel safe at school so their uh, their children can really use education as a leverage point to reach their potential and <clears throat> i realized that there are barriers in the place <clears throat> excuse me um to the getaway in, uh, of student learning and so you know the barriers a parent could have is a lack of information right i i don't know what my rights are as a parent i don't know what resources that i have or that all parents have or maybe you know, as a parent, I, uh, I have a barrier, like I faced a negative experience before at a school. Uh, there's, let's say there's a bullying or a conflict with a teacher and I don't know how to navigate that. Or maybe this uh, barrier for my child being successful is just normal adolescence, you know, changing friends, changing relative to puberty or exploring new identities. And these are uh, normal things, but they can kind of put us off track to learning. And so, um, you know, we also talk about other barriers in the podcast and what parents can do, like anxiety, mental illness, um, things that aren't the school's fault or really the child's fault, but, but the parent needs to know how to uh, um, 
support their child and, and structure things so they can have a successful childhood and successful experience at school. So yeah, my podcast, my website, that's designed to be that resource for parents. And, and as my kid's older, I'm realizing more personally, parenting is tough, challenge, it's challenging. Um, we all want the best for our, our kids, but situations come up that we're not expecting. And even if we have kids, uh, there's always something new with, with our younger children. So we can feel helpless. Um, and so you need to know what your rights are, what's best practice. Um, and we've, yeah, we've explored, you mentioned this already, uh, things unrelated to school. Like for example, my son or daughter came out as gay or transgender. This is a new experience for me as a parent having an LGBT child. So how can I support them in general? And then we explore other more school specific issues like, okay, I have an LGBT child. This is new for me. What does that mean with my child attending the public school system? And so in a similar way, I talk about various student populations and I address parents of those specific student populations. So they get some, some footing, some traction to know their rights, the resources out there. And it's been, it's been so rewarding for me. I didn't anticipate how much I'd enjoy doing this and the, the positive experiences, but it's been uh, surreal. I love what you're doing, and I want, we'll probably mention this again at the end of the podcast, but um, Dr. Wilson, if you want to find his um, podcasts, the best place to go is americasprincipal.org. Um, and I'll spell the word principal because I'm always confused <laughs> how to spell that word, P-R-I-N-C-I-P-A-L. So I went to that website today, and you'll see a listing of all his podcasts. And I love that the focus is parents. Parents need resources. And I love that you're talking about this from the principal, from the perspective of an administrator. And uh, I just love this podcast series. Also, you can follow Dr. Wilson on Twitter at Dr. Aaron Wilson. That's right. So talk about how have the people responded to the podcast episodes? Yeah, it's... Um... It's been humbling and motivating um, because I've had parents contact me expressing thanks. Um, they've even suggested future episode content. They've suggested I've promoted resources. Um, so it, it's been positive. I'll, uh, it might be helpful if I, let me share, let me share an example. So um, after I posted the episode, how do I support my child when they come out as gay or transgender? A parent messaged me with an experience she had. I know this parent for years and she shared something she doesn't share with um many, she says her child came out as transgender and how this was initially a difficult journey for her as a parent. And it surprised her. And she expressed just a lot of thanks for posting content that relevant content that helps their, uh, their, them and helping their children. And that's, and similar experiences have validated, you know, this is an important work and I'm excited to continue this. Um, we're on, I think I've posted 15 episodes now, and then I have, the way I've done it, I've recorded them in the summer, so I have 20 or so more to release for this season, and then I have some ideas for season two for next year mapped out. But but my goal is to really get the heart of some struggles or challenges, new experience, or even questions that parents have. And, and like you, Dick, I, I walk into an uncomfortable space uh, with an expert in the field as a podcast guest, and you know, the, res the result, hopefully, is like the parent who reached out to me, they feel like they walk away with good information. They, they know where they can look for additional resources and supports, all for the benefit of their uh, child or children. Are you doing this under the umbrella of your responsibility at Granite School District, or is this just completely separate? It's separate. So uh, although all principals across the country share um, similar responsibilities, 
So mine is, is it's really a hobby. So that I've done this on, uh, you know, personal time, personal means and equipment and, um, and, and it's hopefully helping parents that are, um, you know, go to my school and other schools, but it's not associated with my employment. No, it's just a labor of love. Kind of. Yeah. That's great. I love that. I've, I was surprised when I started to say kind things or just about LGBTQ people on social media before I did a podcast. And there's a lot of people that then recognize I was safe and would open up mm. to me. So yeah. I love that you've started this podcast. And so then like you just shared in this message, someone says, I can talk to Aaron Wilson. I need to talk to somebody about my transgender child. And I know that he is safe to talk to and has stepped in the space and um, will be a helpful support and resource to me. Sure. So let's explore more about um, this topic. Many parents of LGBTQ people are listening and wondering what they can do to support their children at school. Can your podcast assist these parents? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's a... Uh... You know, the, the, uh, some of the episodes I've published so far have um, been extremely relevant um, for parents with LGBT ch uh, children. One had Dr. Lisa Hansen from Flourish Family Therapies, and together we explored, you know, the ways parents generally respond when their son or daughter came out as gay or transgender. And, and through this podcast, uh, emphasize the way that parents, um, realizing the way they respond to their child when he or she come out, um, affect the long-term health outcome of their child. Um, let's explore that topic more, Aaron. Many parents of LGBTQ children are listening and wondering what they can do to support their children at school. How can your podcast assist these parents? Oh, yeah, I'd love to talk about this. So um, the ed episodes that I've published so far include one with uh, Dr. Lisa Hansen from Flor uh, Flourish Family Therapy. And uh, she and I explored ways that parents generally respond when their son or daughter come out as gay or transgender. And through that podcast, emphasize the way parents respond to their child, that it affects their, um, their long-term health outcomes by the way that they act or react to their uh, son or daughter after they come out, that the parents are a key determinant in their child's future. And um, I think that was episode seven in my podcast. And I, I feel like that helped parents prepare for their experience, not necessarily really related to school, but to know how to process that, to know... Um, where their child can turn to find support and how the parents can find a support network. Um, and then the one most recently that I published was, all right, my LGBT child is being bullied. Why is this happening? What are my rights? What if my school isn't addressing this bullying appropriately? And what does the law say about my child's right to feel safe and for the school um, to stand up for my LGBT child? Um, so those are some examples. And one that I've recorded but haven't released yet that I, I think parents would be interested in is... Um, it welcomes the equity specialist from the Utah State Board of Education, and we discuss parents' advocacy roles they can take and the student LGBT students' rights to be themselves. And then we, you know, we get into some really granular questions uh, that I think uh, LGBT or parents of LGBT uh, children have. That question is, you know, what if what if my child or child comes out as gay to my uh, their school counselor before me as a parent? What does confidentiality look like in that situation? You know, what's the ethical standard for counselors in the state of Utah to follow? And then we also discuss issues specific to transgender students and their families. Uh, for example, what are students' rights in being referred to by their preferred gender pronoun or preferred name? And what if uh, we want to formalize that on a school record? Or we also discussed in that episode transgender students using the preferred bathroom of choice and addressing parents' questions or concerns on that issue. 
Um, so I, I guess I'd say, have I discussed every single issue that an LGBT child um, would face in a school? No, but my goal is as the weeks go on and, and years go on that more information is published that I'll have this more comprehensive resource for parents. And, and I'd say even um, some of the podcast episodes are very general that, uh, you know, um, how do we advocate for the rights of our students overall? You could apply that to any student population. Um, and maybe a question you ask, but could I add something else? Sure, please do. <laughs> uh, so yeah, a question you didn't ask, but one that I feel strongly about. So each podcast episode highlights a specific question or issue from a student population that the parent is helping them navigate. And when we talk about LGBT students and make sure school is safe for them, really all students benefit. Um, so as an example, different podcast episodes outlines how parents and schools to work together to prevent uh, bullying of LGBT students and make sure that bathrooms are safe places for transgender students. But guess what? If bathrooms are safe places for LGBT students, then they're safe for every student. That's cool. Um, no, and I, that is cool. So I, I found that principle to be true in many settings. Like, well, it, the principle is if we if we focus on a marginalized or at risk or vulnerable student population, all receive the benefit um, of that focus. Uh, uh, for another example, so the junior high of which I'm a principal. We have a, a, a high number of refugee uh, students and English language learners. And so my teachers, because uh, of this, they design their tier one instruction or the, the first time they teach, they use strategies that um, uh, allow for learning. So dual coding or intentional use of vocabulary or spiral teaching or other, other practices. So as a result, all students in the class benefit from that instruction, not just the ESL students. And that's the great thing about education. And when we make sure that one student group that could be the most vulnerable or most need of support when we make sure that they are safe. The other don't, students don't lose out. If, if that one student group, for example, LGBT youth have access to safety and education, we find all other others benefit as well. What a great principle. And I, I listened to your episode 15 with Bonnie Owens this morning that you referenced. And um, I thought it was very interesting to hear the insights to bullying. Mm -hmm. And I know that's something that administrators are trying to end, but I love the focus on LGBTQ bullying in particular in that episode and just the rights that parents have. Because as a parent, uh, and you're a parent too, we want our children to be safe at school. And I was impressed with all the work that's being done to make sure students are safe. Sure. And as she went through the legal work that's been done in the state of Utah, I was very impressed with thoughtful people that are trying to do their very best to make the academic experience safe. And um, I love the teaching that is to fellow students as they're seeing teachers. Um, you know, I want my kids to be in environments where they're, if they become bullies, that they're, they're called on that so that they're not bullied. And if they are bullied, that right. they have teachers and administrators, because I think we all do better. And we come out of the, the academic experience with skills that help us through our entire life. Sure. Yeah. Um, do you find parents feel the same way that providing equity for one student population helps all students? Uh, yes, um, I do. I, I mentioned this briefly. So my, the school I'm a principal at is very diverse and I love that. You know, we have students from over 40 countries, uh, 40 countries speaking over 50 languages that are enrolled and it's a very safe and inclusive place. And, and generally parents, when they walk in, they feel that and acknowledge that. And I know that isn't always the case in other schools. Um, I, I had a parent reach out to me uh, from back east, and this parent had a concern about LGBT literature uh, being included as curriculum in her child's school district. And so 
um, your question sparked that experience. And I think it's worth mentioning because uh, this issue, you know, in my law class and my doctoral uh, program, we studied this issue and it's playing out and uh, this issue is playing itself out in districts across the country. And let me talk about that. Um, so what I, I think is unfortunate, in my opinion, is how these situations of, uh, for example, LGBT literature, they can be mishandled on both sides where LGBT literature in schools, they really can bring communities together, but the introduction of the literature into schools, if not done well, can um, and and does further uh, polarize schools from others, from stakeholders and uh, parents. Um, so for example, the schools uh, uh, reading books like I Am Jazz, this is a book where a 13-year-old protagonist says, I have a, I think it's a girl's brain, but a boy's body. I think that's the one. And um, another book that's been criticized for use in schools, um, King and King and King. It's a book where a prince is told before he can be king, he needs to marry a princess. And he says, I've never cared much for princesses. And he marries a prince instead. Um, so this, the situation in schools usually plays out like this. It's a, a very general summary, but parents find out an LGBT book is going to be read in their class and they share their concerns and they usually say it's a moral concern. The principal says, no, we're going to read the book. And the parent says, fine, we'll just not have our children child attend that day. And then the school says, oh, yeah, well, we're not going to tell you when we're going to read it. Ha! And then the, it's, and it gets messy. And the parent says, well, you need to tell us what's going on in our school. And we ask, or we'll pull our kids from your school. And, and they do. Some do that. And it just, what was originally intended is to be something that can bring a perspective and understanding to prevent uh, bullying of one of the most marginalized uh, groups at risk for bullying um, turns bad. And, and these case have been, cases have been litigated and the, the circuits have sided with the schools. Um, uh, and the result uh, uh, has been, you know, the introduction of LGBT literature has the opposite effect, the counter effect to the goal. of. Um, and so the, the principal sets out thinking, you know, gosh, I want every child in my school to feel safe. And I recognize the LGBT members of the community, they exist. And there are children who are feeling this um, this way, and they they have a place in the world. And um, you know, the sad result after all the negativity surrounding this divisive issue is that young LGBT students in the class are left feeling, you know, seeing the clamor surrounding this issue, that they, they're internalized. Oh, people hate the book. This book is bad, and they will hate me. And um, that's how people are going to respond to me. And so. I think that the way principals introduce LGBT literature, then they can create situations that are far more likely to be successful in reaching their goals, following some basic principles. And and there's some suggestions I have for parents as well on the issue. Um, I'll, so I'll, I'll maybe I'll just keep talking about this, and then we can circle back. But since I brought it up, um, great. So yeah, so uh, I guess uh, superintendents or principals. They can't, uh, my advice for them is they, they really can't or shouldn't, they can't vilify parents who express questions or, or maybe even differing viewpoints because if them as, if they as educators, if they want to build bridges of understanding between LGBT and other communities, then gosh, they need to step up and they need to take time to respond to earnest questions that come up. Why are you introducing this book? Um, why is that important? And they need to share their rationale in making the decisions. And they need to be open to receive parent input. They always need to listen. And ultimately, we as principals, we make the decision we feel best for our student. And inevitably, um, some parents will agree, some disagree, but we need to first give them that voice. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's some my initial advice for a school principal. Um, and I'd recommend uh, communicating. So if I was, was going to um, 
in my school read a, a transgender book that I felt was important that had that purpose, I would communicate something like this. Um, yeah, parents like you, my, my goal is for each child to feel safe. And you know, we want, uh, all of us want our child, your children to feel welcome at school each day. Um, thank you for teaching your children to respect one another's differences. You know, we stand up against bullying. We, we all need to work together to make our school a safer place, a better place. And an important way for each of us to do that is to explore various student perspectives that exist. And, and these include, but are not limited to, a student's cultural perspective, right? I mentioned at my school, um, the refugees provide wonderful culture differences and perspectives that are different than others. Or other perspectives we need to consider whether the student is gay or transgender. And exploring those topics in an age-appropriate manner is important for for me as a principal for several reasons. Again, this is um, what I suggest parents say or principals say to parents. And I'd, I'd explain, gosh, whether it's intentional or unintentional, children and youth who identify as gay or transgender gender very often receive negative messages. And those negative messages are at odds with emerging their emerging sexuality or gender identity. And some of the factors that put LGBT youth at higher risk for depression and even suicidal ideations. And so I'd explain to the parents, your role is important teaching your child to, how to be respectful for all people but and, and also schools play an important role in engendering respect for all people and we work together and the goal in exploring exploring various student perspectives is we don't promote homosexuality but rather we affirm that they exist in ways and that and having this affirmation that if we can divorce that from negativity and discrimination and other harmful messages that's that's what we need to do so anyway that's that's how i'd start to communicate with parents and then um, you know, further emphasize um, uh, the need for schools to explore um, these topics and address their points of concern in ways that, that that shows that I'm listening to them, but I need to frame it in a larger, more overarching concern that we need to prevent discrimination. Oh, here's, okay, here's something else to consider. Um, so the parent who emailed me, she, um, you know, she was a religious person and had objections to the principal, including LGBT literature in class. And but what's interesting, her objections were not from a moral standpoint, uh, rather so the principal um, adopted really poor communication in this incident. Um, he was uh, taking, a, he was in essence, he was taking away the rights of parents to support the reading of this book. Um, so, so this parent said to me, look, if, if you told me when this book was being read, I would sit down with my child and I'd say, you know, in, in class today, you're going to read a book that's going to teach you how some people think in ways that you maybe haven't thought of or we haven't talked about as a family yet. And it's important to me that even if other students are, are laughing at the book, that, that you don't. And in our family, it's important to treat others with respect. And how you act today when you read this book will show that you're respectful to all people. And I send my child to school. And because the principal essentially said, we're only going to read this book once, and I'm not telling you when, it, it did take away from that parent's ability to reinforce the content and the underlying message. So, um, yeah, it, well, in another, in that case, that specific case, another consideration for that principle is, you know, if a book is worth reading, it's worth referring to enough through the, the unit of study or during the weeks that the theme is being explored. And so if developing empathy for LGBT people is important to the principle, then why are you going to just read the book once and never talk about it again? A better pedagogy would be, and what you would say to the parents is, we'll be reading um, you know, this book, it's going to be on this date, and um, we will reference our reading as we talk throughout the unit on respecting other people. Um, so, so those are some considerations I'd invite 
parents or principals as they em- embark on making their schools safe and exploring issues related to LGBT, you'll, you'll find some parents that may have initial feelings of dissonance and, you know, your intent principles, you're, you're coming from a good place in introducing LGBT literature in schools. And I'm not saying you need to wait before every parent agrees with your decision, cause that will probably never happen. But what I am saying is you, you need to take the time to allow parents to see what you see, to explain to them in a, in a respectful way, why it's important that students need to see this perspective and outline what you're doing and what you're not doing in reading this literature. And, and, and most of all, and the way that you communicate, I think if principals remembered that your goal is to build bridges of empathy and understanding, never forget that, that that's your goal. Um, so I, I guess I could give advice to parents and that's probably more on point. Have I been too much talking dick or I'm okay. That's great. <laughs> Just keep, I love uh, you shifting that to parents. Yeah. So I went on kind of a bird walk there uh, or a rant, but so, you know, parents, let's say whether you have an LGBT child or not, then this issue is important to you. Let's say your school, um, you know, you know, your school wants to introduce some LGBT literature to your child or your class. So I, looking at this, we've talked about the perspective side, think about your role as a parent. So as parents, be really reflective. If you have concerns about this, pinpoint what those concerns are. Um, so the parent who contacted me, her concern was not a moral issue. Like it was, uh, and I'm not saying it's a moral issue. I'm saying that's what uh, parents say it is. But, um, in the case of the parent who contacted me, her concerns were the principal's communication, right? Um, that's what prevented her from being able to support the content. And she took exception. I didn't mention this before that the principal was implying that all people or religious people, especially that were opposed to this book were that they were, um, they were villainizing, villainizing them in, in some way. And, and her response was, uh, no, like I'm, I'm religious, but I, I'm, I don't, and don't paint me with a, a bad brush and don't assume bad intent. Um, you know, you're assuming something that's not true about me. And so I, you know, principles, we've talked communicate professionally, don't mischaracterize parents' concerns or vilify them. And, and parents don't vilify the principal, know that his intent or her intent is, is truly is to help all students feel safe. Um, your, your principal, so, um, you know, principles like me, that we see the statistics play out each day in our building and LGBT youth are far more likely to get bullied than um, almost, I think, any other student subpopulation. And, and these youth that, that they, they drink in these negative experiences, these negative messages, their whole lives, um, that's harmful to them. And if, and if parents, if you were a school principal and regardless of what your background is, what your perception, what you think, you know, about the LGBT community, you would, you would see a need for, um, to engender greater empathy and understanding to the LGBT community. Um, I think another thing I'd invite parents to consider is if, if, you know, your school is thinking of introducing LGBT literature, think, you know, think the reason of your objection. Um, so you, you might have valid reasons to oppose the reading of a certain uh, book in your child's class. In the case of the parent who reached out to me, their child was in second grade and the book read to them was intended for an older audience. And uh, generally the age of the protagonist is the age that it's appropriate to introduce to the, into the, the, the class. And um, her concern wasn't that transgender issues were being discussed, but you know, the, that book uh, was kind of for an older audience and, exp- and the language and, and theme was a little bit older than for her second grader. So the, um, so in that case, the, the reading the book above the student's maturity level, what was a valid issue, but 
um, if you're objecting because you don't want your child to read about a gay or transgender protagonist, well, okay, then, then you need to really think through them and let's follow a logic train there. So if your, if your objection is, I don't want my child to read about a gay or transgender protagonist, if you are thinking that by learning about a gay or transgender, uh, person, do you think that'll somehow make your child gay or transgender by exposure? Well, no, that's not really how it works. <laughs> um, or do you, you think, no, it's okay to talk about it, but I don't really trust my teacher. Um, I, I'm worried. Are there, is that teacher an activist that's going to try to promote a certain lifestyle? So that's, that's not what happens. Teachers don't promote lifestyles. They promote empathy and respect. Um, so let, let's say you have a concern. Let's say, um, gosh, I'm a parent. I object my child reading a book with an LGBT character because I don't want them to know, I don't know, how LGBT people think. Um, that maybe you're uncomfortable perhaps with gay or transgender people yourself. And at some level you don't want to expose your child to positive messages about them. Like maybe you only want to expose your child to negative messages about gay people. Then, then I guess that's why we do it. I guess that's the heart of the issue and why books are read in schools because schools, in my opinion, we have this mantle of promoting respect among all people and love that. And we don't, yeah, we don't promote any political party, for example, we don't promote any lifestyle, but, but we do, um, inculcate students with respect towards our people. And, and that's, I guess, my advice to parents. So you, um, we need you to help us as principals, make schools a safer place and better, um, your community. Right. And we do our best as principals. We're not perfect. Um, we have our faults, but, but we're more effective when we have parents who offer their perspective, when you communicate your needs, when you share what's important to you, um, I have a future podcast episode that's done, but we just haven't released how parents can be involved. And for now, I'll just emphasize one small part of that podcast. It's a um, community council. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, you know, how can I be a part of ensuring that equity is, is happening in my child's school? So know that each school by law, we have, uh, we're required to have a group of parent leaders and they're tasked with some very important decisions, non, non-trivial things. Uh, they get to decide how a large amount of money is spent uh, depending on your school size, it could be over a hundred thousand dollars. And, and part of what you do is how to improve learning, but an integral part of how students learn is how are they safe? Um, what, uh, goals does a school have relative to safety and bullying? And you make decisions on that committee, that council that affect your child's school and community. And if you're uh, passionate about promoting student equity, well, run for a community council, be an engine that drives this in your school. Because as I'll tell you, as a principal, we need your voice. I love that, Aaron. I love so many things you just shared there. And I think some of our listeners will replay a lot of that and listen to it a couple times. I love the responsibility to promote empathy and that um, we do, that it is appropriate for a school to promote positive messages about LGBTQ people. And I recognize that that's one of the gen- the missions of academic, at, and that's why I want my kids in school. Just a couple of thoughts. Um, yeah. There is um, a young man who grew up in our ward, Rock Frampton, who now um, teaches at Hunter High School. Is Hunter High mm-hmm. in your school district? Right. And I and I've met Rock before. You, you, yeah, he's a good. Yeah. And I, this is a sign. I'm going to read this sign that's on in front of his class. Um, Everyone is welcome in ceramics class. We don't care if you're not creative or artistic. We love every race, gender, sexual orientation, belief system, and culture. We accept everyone. 
come relax, laugh, make some art. And I just love, if I'm a student in his high school, I love that sign. Any thoughts on that sign? No, and that's what, um, that's that uh, tenor, that kind of warmth that could exude from him. That's what we want all teachers to state, whether explicitly or implicitly, right? We want students to um, have a safety net because school, even though it's um, uh, or public education, the best institution out there to have kids uh, explore um, different pathways for learning and um, have an opportunity to collaborate with other students, it, it can be challenging because you are experience with a lot of students together, their potential for conflict. And you have the opportunity to learn from some amazing people. Teachers are the salt of the earth. And part of the, the brilliance of school is you put students in contact with amazing people all day. It changes them and for the better. And I'm, I'm glad that Rock communicates that. And the goal, I think, of every teacher should communicate that school is a safe place and that we're um, culturally and, and all of the ways responsive. So I, I appreciate that, that Rock. It's a small world that you know, Rock. Um, I'm writing a book, as I've shared with our listeners. The working title is Ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And there's some parallels, obviously, between what Aaron's doing um, and what I'm doing. But chapter two or nine, well, about 12 myths that I tried to address. And myth number nine is our, if, we, if our kids talk about or associate with LGBTQ people at school, they could become LGBTQ. Hmm. And uh, I've written here some, since most of us are seeing an increase in Latter-day Saints who identify as LGBTQ, it could be seem logical to conclude an outside influence such as school is causing people. However, based on what I've learned, teaching or talking about LGBTQ issues in school or elsewhere, doesn't cause people to become LGBTQ. So I'm categorizing this as a myth. Any thoughts? I think you've kind of addressed some of that. Yeah. And and you reminded me, one of my favorite podcasts I reported, I, I talked about it briefly with uh, Dr. Lisa Hansen, and she, she touched on this um, uh, fallacy that if I'm a parent and um, and I minimize exposure to LGBT children. I think that maybe my child is more safe or less prone to become LGBT themselves. And in fact, if your child is, um, you know, gay or transgender, let's say for uh, sake of an example that your son or daughter is gay. Um, if you try to shelter them and minimize exposure from other students that, that might be the same, then they're, then their long-term health outcomes are worse than if you say, you know what, I'm unfamiliar with this, but um, we need to help you find your tribe. And then if as a, as a parent, you, you kind of say is, is, you know, um, you know, here's a group uh, there's, uh, from what I understand, LGBT LDS groups that for youth and parents. And if you allow your child to really know like, Hey, um, here's other students that, that are students, um, principal me, there's other children that, um, are similar and is this, is this a group of people that that you enjoy being with with similar needs um and your ch child might ultimately uh you know as they're defining themselves this experience this allowing to them explore provides such more positive long-term health outcomes than than trying to force them towards um the way that you want them to live that the research is outstanding so um your question of, and I forget the specific one, but that's a thought that came to mind. It's a great thought. Do, um, 
does exposure to these ideas uh, um, from what I kind of heard have um, yeah. I, I forget the question, Dick, but but those are some initial thoughts that that were sparked from what you said. This is a mother on this question, Deborah Oaks Co. She's a mother of a gay son who's worked really hard with our legislature on this issue. And I'll read what she wrote. Um, researchers have found that schools with active gay stride alliance clubs, um, which we haven't talked yet about on the podcast, you may have some thoughts on that, Aaron, have overall better climates than those without GSAs, gay straight alliance. Schools with GSAs also have de- decreased risks of suicidality and suicide attempts, dropping out, and drug and alcohol abuse. One common finding in this body of research is these outcomes benefit all students, not just LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. GSAs have have been found to have protective effect, effects. Youth who are receiving social services, such as those in foster care, homeless shelters, are especially at risk um, for negative consequences. However, in a study of LGBTQ students receiving social services, found that those who went to schools that had GSAs were significantly less likely to experience suicidality, sorry about that, and to report suicide attempts. Students at schools with GSAs were only two-thirds as likely as students as non-GSA schools to report suicidality, Mm -hmm. and about one-third likely to report suicide attempts. The finding also illustrates the relationship with GSAs in a school and improve school climate, regardless of whether a student is a member of the club. While these clubs improve the climate for all students, they're particularly important for multiple marginalized youth. Any Mm -hmm. thoughts on that? So those uh, statistics don't surprise me that schools that have a GSA alliance have uh, more positive or less negative um, health outcomes. And and here's why. So earlier in this podcast, earlier question, I, I mentioned that if a school is able to prevent bullying of transgender students in a bathroom, then gosh, that bathroom is safe for all kids. If we make sure that LGBT students aren't bullied, then everyone else isn't bullied. Like if you if you look at a historically marginalized population or a group that is um, at higher risk of being bullied or targeted, then those efforts uh, benefit the entire uh, school. So. I, I'm not surprised at all because um, it, it's a message. Even if a student doesn't directly benefit from a GSA club, other students that are experiencing similar types of, of uh, things, whether it's bullying or being marginalized or being misunderstood or uh, whatever as teased for their identity that isn't necessarily uh, because of gender variance, other students, um, I, I think... Uh, GSA or other types of groups like that are a signal that it is a safe place. And so I I do think, um, I'm not surprised by what you shared. Um, I'll just read a couple comments. Part of this book are parents, LDS parents with LGBTQ kids trying to dispel this myth that talking about in school makes their kid LGBTQ. And um, here's a mother. A few years ago when I'm, I took my daughter to her junior high open house for the beginning of her seventh grade year, the first thing I noticed when I walked in the door was a poster for an LGBTQ club. Not having that be part of my reality yet, I felt a pit in my stomach that my kid would have to go through school with that kind of influence. I couldn't believe the teachers would would have rainbow flags in their door to encourage this kind of behavior. I had thought myself loving towards those in the LGBT community, but had a fear that if I would if this was present schools, my children, my children would be influenced to be LGBTQ, which at the time could, I couldn't think of anything worse for my kid. 
Fast forward to the middle of this year when I noticed a huge change in my daughter's personality. Our goofy, witty, interactive um, child's relationship had took at 180 degrees, and I felt like it had completely dried up. She was struggling with friends and figuring out how to fit in. There were some subtle signs that gave me inklings that she was somehow um, LGBTQ. I wasn't sure how to react or respond. Um, things just kept going downhill and more dark in her life. I remember one sleepless night sitting in my bathroom, crying, praying, pleading for my daughter. I knew things weren't okay, but I couldn't put my finger definitely on anything. The next day, through a series of events, I found out my daughter had a girlfriend and had gone on a date with her. My world was rock, flipped upside down. Um, my husband and I had many prayerful discussions when we thought best to handle this. We had discussions with our daughter who has told us she was bisexual. We let her know we loved her. We let her know that we didn't doubt her feelings of attraction. In one conversation, my daughter told me that she and some of her friends had made a pact that if someone's um, parents kicked them out, they would, the others would take them in. It broke my heart knowing that my daughter and some of her peers, and this was a catalyst for me helping understand the need for more discussions in school regarding our LGBT community. I went from feelings of fear, which is, I think, a feeling a lot of parents feel, mm-hmm. um, and detest, detest towards these LGB clubs and teachers to strong feelings of gratitude and love. Thoughts on that comment? Yeah. So it's interesting. You mentioned the parent had an initial negative reaction of seeing a rainbow. Like, I can't believe that schools would, um, and I think the word maybe in the, the text was promote, even though schools don't promote any lifestyle, we affirm you know, their existence and build empathy and respect. So it's really interesting, you know, symbols mean different things to different people. And I think that's true. When people think of the LGBT community, you'll have a lot of people that that coil with a negative response. And it's not because they know members of this uh, community personally. My opinion is that they, it's, it's based off of um, ideas that they have heard from, you know, a very saturated or polarized group. And that kind of becomes perpetuated in these negative ideas when really, um, if I, I believe if, if parents were able to view the content and discussions of a GSA club, they would find it's very different. And the, the work that they're doing is important and positive. Um, and, and so overall, I think some of the, uh, it's interesting, the, the story you said of how her experience changed because it benefited their student. Um, I, I do think it's interesting how LGBT, um, the issue has become, I guess, politicized. Like you're either, um, people either think, uh, one thing or the complete opposite when, and that's not the case, um, that it's, it's a dynamic issue and, and you'll find that the more people are informed, I think the more they, they recognize it, it creates safe places for uh, student populations that have historically been quite marginalized and it's an important thing to improve positive health outcomes and by allowing these clubs like you mentioned the statistic from um, schools that have gsa clubs um, it helps all students and so I, I i truly believe that that if parents allowed themselves to kind of understand more about you mentioned gsa clubs but but what discussions are about LGBT people, I think I know that their views would change, but I, it's for parents and, and others, um, it, that first step of, of um, allowing themselves to um, see what the content is, that can be a scary thing for them. You mentioned fear. Um, 
but it's it's something that I think it's important for them to do that rather than base their ideas off of um, I don't, um, yeah rather than base their ideas off of what they think they know to to look at content or discussions with an open mind and realize gosh this this isn't bad they're not promoting things it's it's promoting empathy to all students I love that and I love I think f- Satan's one of the greatest tools is fear and I think um we shouldn't fear, it may be scary, um, but we shouldn't fear our child being LGBTQ. Um, I think that's maybe a natural fear, but I think if we should, I think accept that's a possibility as a parent or a school administrator and, and create a culture and environment that that child will thrive. I'll just read a couple more comments and then I'm going to ask you some more questions. Um, I have two gay children, a boy and a girl. Neither of them chose to be gay or thought it was cool. In fact, they both hated themselves and tried as hard as they could not to be gay. And this is sort of back to why if we talk about in school, we might influence someone to be LGBTQ. I don't believe anyone, even if they did thinking gay was cool, would, would choose to change their orientation. There's still far too much risk of alienation, physical harm, verbal assault religious and spiritual trauma, family loss. Also, if school clubs could influence orientation, my son would be straight. Every kid he knew in club was straight. (laughs) My son was into sports, played basketball, soccer, basketball, with a lot of very straight boys. It didn't change his orientation, no much how hard he tried or how much he wanted to. He even joined the Air Force to become straight. And then this is a mom of a transgender son. Um, my son has never met another trans person until he attended North Scar Conference, and oh, how nice it was to know he wasn't alone. Since he's been out, I don't know anyone who becomes trans from knowing him. When you look at a transgender person's life and the struggle they encounter, nobody looks at them and say, hey, that looks fun. I think I'll be transgender so I can go through all this pain and suffering. Um, We're both um, active LDS parents, you have four, I have six, you have a younger family, my family's out of the home. I sort of connected this space because of my stewardship responsibility as a YSA bishop and I had LGBTQ. Did you, did you connect to this space um, be separately from your responsibilities as an administrator or did it come because of your responsibility as an administrator? Yeah, I would say initially because of my responsibility, I would say initially because of my responsibilities as an administrator. Um, I mentioned this before, but I, one of the things I'm most inspired in my job is working with parents. And that's why my audience is a parent podcast, you know, parents that say, I, I don't know what to do. And some of the things that they'll, uh, have questions about to me or, um, you know, some of my staff might not really have things directly related to school, but, but I think the principle is viewed in society as kind of a steward of, of all things, uh, for children. And so I've learned a lot and I've grown a lot and I've, um, and I felt like I've, I've been able to really help parents in these individual conversations, but felt a strong, uh, impetus, uh, to, to make sure that I could share in, in the, um, the best way possible, you know, knowledge and resources to all parents. Cause the thing that I'm inspired about is helping families. And this was a great way to do that. And, um, you know, you mentioned faith and this is interwoven uh, much in my faith that, um, you know, I felt, uh, that I'm doing a very important thing and I, uh, felt, you know, uh, kind of a nice overlap and, and doing things that I, I felt like God wants me to do. So that's, um, the, the two have not been incongruous at all. 
Do you get um, some people when active LDS, when they step in the space or parents, when they have an LGBTQ child, it, they, they wonder if they can do both somehow supporting LGBTQ people, they have to compromise something in their faith. And, and maybe that's because we've talked about LGBTQ people often as kind of an outside threat to our faith versus members of our own faith. We've created maybe this narrative in our minds where we feel like we can't sometimes... Have you had to play any... Has that been easy for you just to say, this is consistent with my faith, or has it taken any deprogramming in you to, to be able to fully do what you're doing? Well, people interpret Christianity in different ways, right? Um you know, that, that if people are different than us, then there needs to be some ex, uh, exclusion or mar- further marginalization. That's at odds with what I think <laughs> religion should be for me, the litmus test of Christianity and being a, a devout member of my faith, the LDS faith, is, you know, how I treat people different than me. Um, you know, particularly when, a, when a, a person or group of people, especially when they have been mistreated, and I know that and I can do something about it, Am I going to turn the other way and, and, and ignore um, my influence to do good? Am I going to just treat them like everyone else? Or am I going to do what I can to partner with um, people to make sure that I can use my abilities to ensure that they have the opportunity to thrive? And, and I believe that for me, that um, being an active member of my faith is to use my knowledge and resources to help all student populations and all families. And I don't know why there would be a barrier or reason not to help LGBT students, uh, children, families. Um, in fact, I even feel like there is um, additional reason too, is because this is a, and when you think of what Jesus did, he um, was seen with outcasts and people that were um, dismissed. And, and if we're going to follow that same principle, then, then we should be reaching out and, and a, a great uh, way to to do that is to to partner with LGBT people and making sure they have the same opportunity to thrive that we do. I love that answer. It's consistent with my answer. I, it took me a while to get to that point, Aaron, because I'd been brought up with such an us versus them narrative. And but when I had stewardship responsibility for a couple gay men and then started to meet LGBTQ people and. I finally, as I think you may have heard, did a hard drive reset, and I realized most of what I'd learned about LGBTQ people was from straight people, and I felt like it would probably be good to just not, because I didn't know what was accurate or not, so I just kind of wiped my hard drive clean, and I said, I'm going to let LGBTQ people or parents of LGBTQ people or research teach me about LGBTQ people, and that really helped then just what you're doing is see them as a wonderful group of people that are often marginalized. And I look at Savior's mission that was to marginalize people. So there's no longer this potential conflict in my mind. In fact, it aligns with my baptism covenants as a Latter-day Saint to reach out to those that have the hardest road and do everything I can hmm. to lift their burdens and also to see their contributions. Um Sorry, I like what you said, because I think a, a catalyst for both of us is where um, this issue became more important to me, um, you know, working with, with families in a stewardship role, right? And, um, and, and I think until you have an opportunity to, to serve others and, and truly see how you can help them, some of these issues, you don't realize their importance. And so I think that's, you know, probably why we're commanded to serve is because we can 
um, recognize the importance of doing so and get to know people that we probably could, uh, couldn't in any other way. Love that. Um, how can people support you in the great work you're doing? Oh, gosh, just listen, um, <laughs> listen to the podcast. Um, I've loved when parents have reached out and said, and say, I, you know, I would love for you to explore this issue because you know, there's things that I think are important, but, um, you know, like you said, my kids are younger and I would, uh, love parents perspective on things that you say, gosh, there isn't really any guidance or resources on this particular topic. That's difficult. Um, so just listen and, and share the podcast, uh, uh, share the resources that I have. You know, if you're, if you're an expert in your field and you have valuable perspective that can help parents, you know, reach out uh, to me on my website and, and be willing to share what you know with the parent audience. Yeah, I'm, I don't have a corner on the uh, market for good ideas. So uh, I think the main way is just support by being um, as good of a parent as you can, you know, and, and recognize that you're not perfect. Your child's not perfect. Um, adolescence is a wonderful rocky time of life and so um, you asked me what parent can do do to support the great work i'm doing um you know let's let's uh work together as parents and people trying to help parents you know let's be patient with ourselves and our kids let's um together be educated on ways we can help our children going through whatever they're going through um in school or things not related to school. It's, um, especially adolescence is a different time of life. So, um, there's nothing, uh, you know, my website intentionally doesn't have any donations. So I, I only ask that you use it and share it because my whole goal is to, um, use this as a resource that, um, or have this as a resource for all parents. So if you like it, then share it. Uh, like you mentioned the website, americasprincipal.org and um, see if that helps you with uh, you on your journey with your child. Uh, thank you. I love. The, I want to make sure everybody's aware of that website, americasprincipal.org. I want to circle back just to a couple things that come to mind. One is this word affirm. I think one of the things that you've taught is we're not trying to promote, we're not trying to set an agenda as Correct. far as moving people in a direction, but we are trying to support people as they self-determine the road for them and as they understand their gender orientation and sexual identity. So is, a, is that correct? And just is affirm your favorite word to describe that? Or are there other words that describe that? Yeah. So, I mean, listen to, so I'm going to answer your question, but a, a more in-depth answer is the last podcast with Bonnie, episode 15 and school's role. We don't promote, um, you know, any, uh, political orientation, uh, sexual orientation. Um, we don't promote lifestyles or um, tell students how to think in those explicit ways. But we talk about and share the experience of multiple uh, groups and perspectives. And our role is to affirm that these people exist and and discuss them. And and the tenor is very positive. And our goal for and mandate for LGBT or any other student population is if we see that these student, uh, that this population is being spoken about negatively, either in a general sense or a specific way, we have an obligation to stop that and promote equity. And so affirming is an appropriate word. And I like that word because what it talks about is, is just the fact that, um, all perspectives need to be explored and understood in, in, in the way that's, um, that we can. And, um, we need to make sure that all, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> that all, um, different perspectives 
are are valued. Now that doesn't need to say that we need to subscribe to those perspectives, but know that um, that they need to be spoken of and addressed and um, in very positive in very positive ways. I love that. I love promote versus affirm, and um, that's what I think. In the focus of the podcast and the space I'm in, because I'm recognizing I'm around LGBTQ people that are LDS, and at times um, they step away from the faith that I love, and that causes me some grief. I don't like anybody leaving, but I recognize that my role, perhaps I'll invite everybody to stay. Maybe that's appropriate in a religious context, especially if I have stewardship responsibility, why a school wouldn't do that. But at the end of the day, I affirm their decisions. I let them self-determine. And so that's the way I've navigated that. I think one of the things that I think we hear sometimes is that society is going in the wrong direction because people are, more people are coming out and they're coming out earlier. And I would say that just what you're talking about at school to have to have a closeted LGBTQ child hear positive stories about people like them helps them to come out earlier. And then to me that everybody wins um, as someone's able to come out earlier. I don't think those stories cause them to take on LGBTQ orientation or gender identity as you've taught. But then I think everybody can make better decisions. Are you okay? Any thoughts on any of this stuff I've just said? Yeah, I think um, regardless of when, a, for example, a, a gay youth decides to come out, because um, that would be a very personal decision on the timing and everything else, the, the, I think an important thing that um, schools can do is, is to make sure that, let's say, there's, there's bullying or negative talk about gay people that teachers say, Hey, that's not okay. And then there's a perspective and, and we've talked about this, that, that share, um, explore perspectives from a very positive way. We talked about transgender or gay books being one of those ways. And so if a teacher in a position of trust, a, a unique position of trust or authority is the term that we use and um, people that we respect, if, um, a model for our students, if they, if, um, you know, if I'm a gay child and I, I have this teacher that I respect and they are standing up for the, the rights and, uh, of LGBT people and know like, Hey, um, in my class, we've talked about someone that thinks like me and, um, my class, we're talking about it in positive ways. That is, is so helpful so that whenever a child does descend to come out or express their gender identity, they're, they're not being beaten all the time inside with, with negative messages. And so so schools do have a very important role in in promoting this so that students can be, live safe and happy and healthy lives. Um, and so those are some thoughts I had as you were you were talking about the role of schools and how that interfaces with all the kids. And then we've talked about the perspective of a of an LGBT youth or child. Um, and we've talked about several times on the episode that by doing that, let's say that I'm not an LG, uh, you know uh, a, a member of the LGBT community. Um, that's fine. And my argument is hearing those messages do no harm because, um, I'm, I know that gay and transgender people exist, how great that I'm having accurate information about them and how great that the message that schools are teaching me is, you know what, you can believe differently. And this is a perspective that might be familiar to you or not, but we respect, um, different values, different perspectives and people that choose different than you. How great that the uh, non-LGBT students hear that 
because um, things like bullying will go away and discrimination will go away. And, um, and we t- talk often about long-term outcomes, long-term health outcomes. Those improve with less um, depression and suicidal ideations. And so I, I think some parents might be cautious still and wary about the goals of school. Our goal is we don't have agendas. <laughs> Our goal is to um, promote respect and equity among all student populations. And um, um, even though we've talked about LGBT and, and entered that through this lens, we have other lenses through which we approach um, respect and, and um, you know, for another discussion, but this is an important one. And I, and I feel that um, in order to do this justice, we needed to spend the time to talk about um, respecting LGBT children and the agendas that schools don't have, but our goal of promoting respect and how it benefits all children. It's fascinating just to hear, you're the first administrator I've ever had on, obviously, and talked about this issue. And there's a lot of similarities between what a faith community would want to do and what a school would want to do. Mm-hmm. I think a difference, perhaps, rightly so, is a faith community does have an, a, as a moral code and a set of and wants and religious laws and, and then would want that community, rightly so, because it's part of our belief system to follow that. Lots of LGBT people or LDS are able to do that, but not all are. Mm-hmm. Um, but a school has a different mission there. You know, a school is not promoting a certain, you know, you're promoting values. You're promoting, I mean, there are things that you're promoting. Sure. um, But there's some differences there, but there's so much common ground as as a parent's goal for their child and as an administrator's goal for students within the system. Right. And um, and schools, and we, uh, there's rules that students need to follow in general, you know, it needs to allow for the safe and orderly. Um, operation of a school to make sure all students are respected. And then students within those schools have rights. Um, and the exercise of those rights um, are curtailed, is the legal term. For example, students, do they have a right of free speech? Yes, they, they, they don't check in their constitutional rights at the door. But when that speech becomes negative or marginalizing towards another group, that's the limit of their rights. They do not have a right to do that. And so our job as an administrator is to make sure that the rights of one student group aren't at odds with the rights of another. Um, uh, students can express themselves and uh, relative to our conversation, they can express them their gender identity in, in various ways. And that doesn't curtail the rights of other students. Um, and when, and I mentioned this just a moment ago, but when we, um, when our rights affect the climate of the school, the operation of a school, that's, that's when you have um, issues. And so you're right, there are parallels between schools and, um, you know, other communities. And, you know, our role as stewards is to make sure that everyone's safe and respected. And what I'll emphasize one more time is when we have targeted efforts to help, you know, one student group population, um, that becomes a lever to help all students. And so I, I feel strongly about that and passionately about that. And it's been been neat to explore that a little bit with you tonight. Um, I'm, I have a, our listeners, I have a pad here. I often write down things that come to my head that I circle back to, and I've written down Luke Warnock. Um, we did a podcast with Luke. Luke um, just graduated as the student body president of Corner Canyon High School. That's a different school district. He um, came out as gay as the student body president. He was a member of the championship basketball team that won state. Um, Our son played against him in high school basketball, didn't know that family at the time. But 
I just, Luke came over here and did a podcast, but then he came over another time with one of his basketball players that's a um, young man preparing for a mission, and that didn't change any. These guys have been best friends playing basketball together since grade school, and I was just, I just thought that's a maturing of society that Luke was able to come out as gay and recognize his sexual orientation at a high school level. And to me, Corner Canyon was better off because they had a, a gay student body present, and it probably created a lot of conversations that helped that entire student body um, come together. That was my impression in talking to Luke's friend who's preparing for an LDS mission. His, I thought, you know, he's going to be a better missionary and just a better human to have Luke in his life, and that friendship didn't even change. And the homophobia that I would have had at that age um, you know, I didn't sense any of that in Luke's friend, and I just was glad to hear that. And and looking at these parents' comments, for those of you that are parents of LGBTQ kids, a lot of parents, initially that's fearful, but after a period of time, a lot of those parents say, our family is better off now. We are closer. We've had conversations we've never been able to have. We communicate better. Um, we're seeing more Christ-like attributes in all members of the family. There may be a period of storming or just challenges of the families coming together to understand this, and that may not always be the story. And, but I would want you know, LDS parents to know that if you're in the beginning stages of this, that often parents that have been longer on this road are actually really glad to have an LGBTQ child, and their family's better off and they're better off. And I think that's true of our schools. I think we learn principles that bring us together and and help us mature as a society. Any final words, Aaron? Um, uh, sure. One thought that you've something just said. Um, you've mentioned uh, about you know LDS uh, parents and the the how this. Um, I guess what I what I'm trying to say is this: when I get uh, statistics on my podcast, the listeners and and I found that the episodes that I've posted uh, talking about the needs of LGBT uh, families are some of the the ones that are listened to the most, and some of which I get the most positive comments about. And I think the reason for that is is because you've touched on this is an issue, uh, a, a space that's perhaps unexplored and and maybe uncomfortable. But I think it's important to have these conversations and and just um, seeing the response from um, all my podcasts. They've each been great and really rewarding for me to do. But but this issue in particular, I felt that there's a greater need uh, to have discussion around um, around this. And then uh, just you know, as a last comment, closing thought is, you know, recognize the um, role of a parent is is very challenging and. As a parent, you may never have an LGBT child, but a lot of the principles that we've been talking about um, today have application in other areas. And so um, you have a child that might be misunderstood or marginalized in another way. The same principles of equity and respect and, and a school has to promote safety for your child, whatever their perspective is still in play and and you as a parent have rights to ensure that your student is safe and, and respected and can work at, at, as partners with administration and teachers and so again the goal of my podcast is for you to be familiar with these rights to know and be empowered um, how to find resources and and have talking points and that's the goal and i'm and i think this was a great way to introduce parents to the resources out there and hope that you take advantage of them 
Thank you, Dr. Aaron Wilson, for being on our podcast. I think your podcast, americasprinciple.org, is going to continue to grow as you're talking about these very complicated subjects in a very helpful way. And parents need um, the content you're providing. So on behalf of me and all of our listeners, um, continue to do what you're doing. And please, listeners, um, follow his podcast, connect with his podcast, share his episodes with others, and it will help all of us better uh, meet the needs of others. Thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.